uh, I'm not here to sell books, but I'd like to sell them all. But anyway, I just want to say something about that book on paying the pastor. Not so much on the book, but the subject of it. In the foreword or on the back cover somewhere, I mentioned that the, the reason that I believe that a lot of churches are, are short on blessing, heaven's blessings, is because they, they've short, they're short on blessing the man of God. And uh, I, I see it. I see it all over the place. And I was in. I was somewhere last week, and I was talking to the pastor, and he mentioned. And this is so true because some of the best people on the earth are, are God's pastors. And he's a good uh, sacrificial man, like so many are, and serving the Lord and. And and uh, and it's kind of hard, not because the church doesn't have the finances to do better, but they're just thoughtless. That's the reason. People are either thoughtless, they're just not thinking about it. They're indifferent, or they're ignorant. And I mean that in the sense that they just haven't been taught. And whose fault is that? Or you got one or two mean-spirited people in the church that'll stand in the way of any effort to increase the pastor's salary or do anything at all for him. And I'm telling you, that is dead wrong. But one of the worst parts of it is pastors, as good as they are, and they'll say, I, I, just, I just can't bring myself to mention to preach on this, that subject. I don't want people to think that I want something, and so I, I just don't preach on it. Well, here's the deal. That is not our option, what we preach on. We're to preach the whole counsel of God. And a lot of churches are underblessed because the pastors are underpaid. And the reason, the reason for that comes right back, like everything else, to the pulpit. God intends his servants to be not defrauded, but treated and treated generously and well. Amen. I, I could... I could talk about it all day, and it's not because I've got an axe to grind. Everywhere I've been, I've been, I've been treated well. People have done the best that they, they could do. But if I could, I would say to so many churches, the best thing you could do right now is to start paying your pastor a little bit better and taking care of him. See if God doesn't bless you. When I wrote that book years ago, I came back from a revival meeting many years ago. The first little book was about 50 pages. I don't even know if it was that many, but I came back from a revival in Illinois where one of the young men that had gotten saved under our ministry and gone out and called to preach, and he went down to, he was pastoring this church several years later. They were living in an old mobile home next to the church and uh, barely, barely, barely getting by, and the church was in a position to do better. They just wouldn't do it. And I went home, I'll just, I don't mind telling you, in a rage. And I sat down and wrote that book. I didn't care about grammar. I didn't care about format, <laughs> anything else. And started getting that little book out. And since then, I've gotten calls. I've gotten calls from truck drivers on the road calling and saying, we got that little book in our church, and we did right by our pastor. And here's what's happened in our church. Three preachers up in Quebec in Canada, got together, and they called and asked for permission to translate it into French. 
I said, sure, translate it into French. Several months later, I got a call, and they told me the story, how they got into that, and about a month and a half after they were into it, one of them said, and they were all deacons, one of them said, we are not doing right, right by our pastor at home. And he said, we went back and corrected that. Before long, the other two, same thing. And again, they had testimonies of how God was blessing their church. Now, that's not the only thing, but that's a significant thing. And churches need to take a look at it. They need to take a strong look and do what God says, and especially, especially if you've got somebody who's really laboring in the Word of God. That double honor is not about getting two pats on the back instead of one at the door. Amen? That's where the word honorarium, honorarium comes from. You got a preacher who's laboring in the word. I know I'm, like they said, preaching to the choir, but uh, he needs to be paid well. Amen. And not, it doesn't matter what anybody says about it, that's what God's word says. Amen. That's my favorite subject right there. <laughs> well, it's uh, 20 minutes to 12, and I promise, I know we have a good, I'm sure we have a good lunch prepared, and I promise to have everybody out of here uh, no later than 2 o'clock. We'll be. Let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to try to make the pastor really look good today. I'm, o- I'm only kidding about that. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. I've really appreciated the messages this morning, tremendous the topics. I uh, appreciate what Brother Stewart said, his first reaction, is honesty about it. You know, who is he to tell us? What, well, he's the pastor of this church, he's the host. Amen. Notice how God has been in it? Amen. Ephesians 1 and verse 4, and let's just stand together. I want to preach uh, this morning on the subject of practical holiness. And there's no verse, as many verses as deal with the subject throughout the entire Bible. There's no, no verse that gets right to it like this verse does. Ephesians 1 and 4, and before we read, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we want to thank you for your, for your, your gift to us today of this good preaching of your word and the good fellowship that we're able to enjoy. Lord, I thank you for every man of God here and their wives and the good laborers and servants in this church that, that uh, are ministering to the, to, to the saints this week with these good meals and hospitality. But now we pray that you'll continue to do what you've been doing already, and that is open ears and hearts to your word. And Lord, give, give, us, uh, give us direction in the preaching of it and the receiving of it, and we've, we'll give you all of the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. And Ephesians 1 and verse 4, just, I'll, I'll just uh, read verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, the, he's writing to a church, the church at Ephesus. We, we, uh, we assume everybody there saved. He's assuming that they're all saved. He's, these things are addressed to people who are already saved. And he says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That verse has been, this verse has been hijacked by the Calvinist and have anything to do with Calvinist doctrine. 
Because Calvinist doctrine doesn't have a whole lot to do with the Bible. Amen. But he has chosen us from the foundation of the world that we should be holy. Doesn't get any plainer than this. And without blame before him in love. Please be seated. I mentioned last night that the Bible teaches us that when we get saved, we have 2 Peter 1 and 4, a new nature imparted unto us. It's a divine nature. It's totally new. Totally new. You can't help but notice it when you get it. Amen? Yeah, his spirit begins bearing witness with our spirit that we are uh, the children of God. We have that new nature. And with that new nature, we have a new craving for a holy life. We have an inward craving sets in for a holy life. In Matthew 5 and in verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Amen. See there in that Sermon on the Mount, that he's directing that directly to the, his disciples, to the preachers there, because they needed a real refresher course in the Sermon on the Mount of, of what constitutes real Christianity. And he gets right to the root of it in those Beatitudes and says, now here are the dispositions, the attitudes, the characteristics of a real born-again believer. One of them is, is that they will have a hunger and thirst for the things of God. But we, don't, we don't need to ignore that. We need to take it for what it says. When people get saved, they don't get saved on Sunday morning and then you have to plead and beg with them to come back. They want to be back. Uh, they, they'll be there early. They'll be wanting to know what time the services are. Amen. Uh, we, need to, we need to get back to reality today. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, the Bible tells us we not only have a capacity... Uh, or rather an inward craving for holiness, but we also have the capacity for holiness. We can be holy. Here's why. Paul said to the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We have the capacity for holiness. If you're really saved... You, you'll have a conflict going on inside if you're not following that compulsion uh, within to be holy. That's God working that in us. Holiness of life isn't the way to salvation, but it is an evidence of salvation. Amen. Hebrews 12 and 14 says, Follow peace with all men uh, and, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. It's a very important message throughout the Bible. It's a very much neglected message today. When as the preachers already said, people are focusing on numbers, focusing on the crowds, and, and focusing on a whole lot of different things. I've just appreciated Brother Quigley's message and, and Brother Stewart's message uh, so much. Uh, there, there's a lot of things here. I'm not going to preach on them all because I I feel complete liberty to leave some things out. One of the hymns we had, I think it was last night, it could have been this morning, was Higher Ground. That's what holy, this, that song's about practical holiness. We're pressing on the upward way. New heights we're supposed to be gaining. We can gain every day. 
The emphasis is higher ground. In other words, holier ground, heavenly ground, a, a, a new level, new ground. In Matthew 17 and verse 4, Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is one of those rare times when the apostle Peter said something that was real good. Now, in the same breath, he's going to say something that wasn't so smart. But what was real good is when he said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Amen. And when we get on the high ground of holiness, it's for sure it's good for us to be there. And we'll feel it all over. Lord, it is good for us to be here. Amen. That's what Paul was talking about. That chapter in Philippians where he says, I press toward the mark. People need to really do a little bit deeper Bible study and a little in self-inquiry, in biblical inquiry. What mark's he talking about that he's pressing toward? He's talking about a reward that has to do with what he's talked about previously, which is identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ and the new life. Uh I want us to notice three things in this verse, in verse 4. Number one, when we think about practical holiness, and this is all about the will of God, verse 4, the first thing you see in, in this verse is the purpose that is in view when it comes to holiness. And then secondly in this verse, you see that holiness is a very practical thing. The practicality in view. And in the last part of this verse is the proof of holiness. The proof of it. Uh, people are mixed up in a lot of areas on this. They think the proof of holiness, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but they think the proof of holiness is all exterior. It's not. We're in a mess today because of about 20 or 30 years of superficial teaching and preaching and practice about holiness. That's why a whole lot of people aren't in churches that used to be in churches for a little while. Amen. Now let's look what he says about the purpose, purposefulness relative to holiness. In verse 4, he says, according as he hath chosen. You know, the first thing that should come to mind there is here's a divine prerogative. Who chose this? Independent Baptists didn't come up with this idea of practical holiness. God chose it. It is God's will. He hath chosen. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 7 says, For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. 1 Peter 2 and 9, But you are a chosen generation, Peter said. Look at how all the apostles uh, focus on this. He said, you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we're not going to be showing forth much praise until we get serious about holiness. Uh, you can't get people to give a testimony today. you got to beg and plead and trick them into it. Amen. It's the equivalent of having to have a Cherokee Jeep with a winch on it to wrench people up out of their pews. Amen. To come forward and give a little praise to God or confess some sin. 
We're in, a, we're in bad shape. And I'm telling you, one of the reasons for that is a lack of holiness. Titus 2 and 12, I almost preached on this. Chapter 2 and in verse 11 through verse 15, through the rest of the chapter, really says some distinct teaching on holiness. And it starts like this. says, teaching us that denying ungodliness... Well, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth out salvation hath appeared to every man. And that same grace of God that appears to every man and brings salvation begins right then and there to teach us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, amen, righteously and godly in this present world. Amen. It's right there. The grace that saves is going to do something within a person to make them want to live a holy life. You're not going to have to beg, badger, bully People into cleaning up their act. It's something within. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Paul said, Wherefore come out from among them. And be you separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I'll receive you. And I'll be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The prodigal son's father wanted to treat him like a father. Wants to treat his son, but he couldn't because he's out wallowing in the hog pen. God wants to be a father to his children today and shower us with gifts and pour out his power on us and use us. But he can't because so many of his children are in the hog pen today. Amen. And God is not going to come down to the hog pen and beg, badger, try to fool us into getting out for a while. Hebrews 12 and 10 says... For they verily for a few days, talking about our earthly fathers, chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. We know all about that passage in Hebrews 12 about chastening of God. But why? Why this chastening? Here's the root of it. That we might be partakers of his holiness. We're talking about the purposefulness of God in relation to practical holiness. Now, God has a, not only a, a divine prerogative here, but you see a designated people. He hath chosen who? Us. <laughs> this is not rocket science. <laughs> As somebody says, it's not brain science, it's not rocket surgery. <laughs> he has chosen who? Us. If you're saved, you can't wiggle out of this. You can't get out from under it. He has chosen us. Now the word chosen, same as elect. It's the same word. It's chosen us. Chosen us means he's chosen us for or appointed us to a certain objective or goal. This isn't talking about choosing anybody for salvation. Choosing, Choosing people whether they'll go to heaven or go to hell. This has nothing to do with that. Look at who's talking. Look to who he's talking to and what he's talking about. This has nothing. Sorry, John Calvin and John MacArthur and John Piper and all of the rest of them. This is not talking about people being elected to go to heaven or hell before the foundation of the world. This is telling us that in the mind of Almighty God back in eternity past, 
before any of it came to be, it was in God's mind that his children would live a holy life. Amen. That's how far back it goes. Amen. Romans 8 and 29 says, and I'm glad this was brought up this morning. Because people really like that, verse 28. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. All things work together. All things work together for me. Next to, next to 1 John 1 and 9. But they don't read the next verses in those passages. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are called according to his purpose. That's talking about people who are sensible of why they are, are saved. We are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Amen. That's exactly what this is talking about here. I mean, when people read the Bible and they're honest in their reading, uh, they'll be honest enough to see that things work together for good only if you get it. And if you don't get it, it's not God's fault because he's made it real plain. Only if you get it. If you, if you get it, you accept it, you embrace it, that God has called us to be conformed to the image of his son. Then all things are going to work together for good to you, for you. But if you're going to be a worldly Christian and ignore the plain truths of the word of God, things are not going to work out very well in your life. Amen. Alexander Smelly, an old Scottish uh, preacher in the last century, said the highest life is to make the thought of godliness, the ruling idea of the mind, the master passion of the heart, the supreme law of conduct and action. Amen. God wants a holy church. In Ephesians 5, verse 25 Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he, that's what we're doing right now. That he might present it to himself, this is his purpose, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without a blemish. I'm so glad for what was said this morning about the contemporary church. New carts, all of this stuff, yeah. improvising, innovating. Yeah. I'm telling you, God is not pleased with it. Right. It's a distraction, it's a smoke screen, and it gets people away from holiness, and they come in acting like a bunch of Las Vegas entertainers. Yeah. And the people that go there to get entertained. Exactly. Amen. Now, I'm telling you, the crowd isn't the most important thing. It's far from being the most important thing. Now, God made a decision in eternity past. Our personal, practical holiness as his children was no afterthought with God. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you something else was said this morning, and I like this. It referred to the fact that uh, just because the culture is changing doesn't need the church should change. There is no shelf life. On the doctrine of holiness. Amen. It's still just as good and as real as it's 
ever been. It's just as relevant now as it was when it was first conceived and decreed in the mind of God. It seems like an impossibility in our day, but we need to have a return to holiness among Baptist people. Amen. This superficial fix, these smoke screens, this whooping and howling and joke telling and fairy tale story given and all of this junk. I just want to say this real quick. Baptist preachers need to get to preaching the word of God. Amen. Amen. What a novel idea. Amen. Preach the word. You know, you can't preach the word unless you got some Bible in it. You got some Bible in it. Preachers have forgotten somewhere along the line that what is not important is not what you would like to say. It's what God wants you to say about what he says. Amen. Practical holiness is of sublime and profound significance. Amen. See the purposefulness in it. And here's the practicality of it. People say it's not practical. This is just impractical today. That kind of preaching, nobody will come. Nobody will come. I know for a fact, my daughter is sitting there. That's a big lie. They told me years ago, you preach like that, the high monkey walks in the fellowship, or the convention, not the convention, I mean that, but the, our association, you preach that up there in that church, you just, you will kill the church. There won't be any church. You keep that up. Well, it, it, it was on the verge of kill it being dead anyway. I mean, it had 46 people. Here's what happened. And I'm just, I'm just telling you what the Word of God will do and if you honor God's call to holiness. Within a few, just a few years, it went from 46 to over 400. And then it went up to over 600. We need to quit listening to the counsel of men and fearing men. And I know it's tough. It's hard today. It is difficult. But we're just going to have to shake a lot of stuff off. And get back to what God is emphasizing. Now look at the practicality of holiness. In verse 4, he goes in and says, He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him. Now he's speaking here first in terms of separation. You can't be holy if you don't separate. Amen. Not, not a lot of people think they can be when they're not separate. I'm going to tell you a quick story. This is one of the biggest problems. You track down, you trace it, you pick up the scent and follow the scent to find out what is rotten in Denmark, and the scent will lead you right to the pulpit in most cases. I hate to say that. <laughs> I was preaching a while back. And uh, I've been to this place, this conference before, and it's really a good conference. I'm sitting on an airplane, and the airplane took a stop, had a layover, and I'm sitting out on the tarmac, picking up another load of people. 
and some preachers got on, and their wives, both of them, their wives had uh, skin-tight pants on. Yeah. You say, that's bad. I'll tell you what's worse. Because in that meeting, in the meetings before, those preachers had ranted and howled about how wrong that very thing was. Oh, then they come strutting up the aisle. I'm sitting two seats from the back of the plane, you know, one of the worst places to sit. <laughs> but that's that's my burden to bear. <laughs> and here, here they come. And I am telling you, have you ever felt just depressed and let down and hurt and confused and bewildered? I've been pastoring for 47 years full time. I've seen a lot of depressing and Things will get you down, but I'll tell you, that really gets me, that kind of stuff gets me down. If it hadn't been somebody else's meeting, I would have just, I would have just said, and I'm waiting, I'm biding my time. Say, what, how, how does this jive? How does this fit? Amen. We need a revival that begins right here in the pulpit when it comes to holiness. Uh, holiness requires a day-to-day decision. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, which goes back, as somebody reminded us already, goes back to what's before, and what Paul is building his case with talking in Romans chapter 1, or chapter 2, about the passion of Jesus Christ, what he went through, that we could be saved. And then he says in chapter 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in light of this, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, and be not conformed to this world. Here's a parenthesis. Because if you're conformed to the world, you can't be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if we never get transformed by the renewing of our mind... Here's how important it is. We'll never be able to discern that perfect and holy will of God. Worldly Christians cannot cannot get the mind of God in raising their children, making a move, pastoring a church, going in this, that direction. It's impossible. In Ephesians 4, verse 22, he says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness. And as my kids used to say when they were little, get a load of this. Which is created in righteousness and True holiness. True holiness. Not artificial holiness, not substitute holiness, not sham holiness, but true holiness. We'll say more about that in just a minute. In 1 John 2, verse 15 and 16, here's an obscure passage. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. 
In other words, the apostle John felt just exactly like Paul felt about the world that we mentioned last night. So there's great practicality in holiness. Um, and, and, and look at the standard that he mentions here. Not only, not only practical in terms of separation, we just have to do it. That's our job. Gabriel is not going to come down and make us holy. He's not going to come down and change the channel on the TV set for us. Amen? He's not going to come down and, and get into our wardrobes and call out what ought not be in there. He's not going to come down and make us read the Bible, pray, confess, and pastors aren't going to be able to do it. We try to do it. It doesn't work. It's an, it's an exercise in futility. Some of us have been long, slow learners in that. Amen. He says, here's the standard, that we should be holy and without blame before him. The standard here, now, the, the word blame, blameless, is a word that means perfect. The, the standard is a high standard. <laughs> Brother Quigley, I remember when I got saved and I first started reading the Bible and I got to that part that says, be ye perfect. Even as, I thought, Wow! Then I was ready for a double, triple wow, when it's even as I am perfect, saith the Lord. Well, God has set a real high standard for us. And the, and the dignity and the dynamo in the Christian life is in striving for that high standard. Here's what churches have done today. They've not only lowered the standards... They've gotten a trencher and trenched out a ditch and put the standard down there so anybody can stumble across. That's where their stand. That's where the standards are today. Amen. Now the enemy has come in like a flood because of that. But Isaiah said, "When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of our God shall raise up a standard, and we need to raise up a standard of holiness once again in Baptist churches." And it's not talking about any second best, any mediocrity uh, uh, under consideration here. No half measures. Amen. You talk about preaching, preaching to yourself. That's what I like about preaching. Several things. One I like is because I don't have to make anything up. Amen. I don't have to have the gift of gab. Thank God. I don't have to. I don't have to be a master. Of Telling funny stories. Amen. I have to be a wordsmith. It's all right here in the book. Amen. I have to go digging around for somebody else's sermon outlines. The Bible is one big book of sermon outlines. Amen. They're ordered pretty well too. 1 Peter 1 verse 15 and 16 but even as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it's written, be ye holy for I'm holy. Now let me rush on to this. There's the purpose of practical holiness and the practicality of it. We, we, we can't do without it. It's the most practical thing there is to the Christian life. 
You cannot really live the Christian life without holiness being part of it. People are trying to do it and they're wearing themselves out trying. People are trying to be Christians without... And that's why they're dropping out of church again and again. That's why so many preachers, many of them are quitting. Because they want to be preachers without real holiness in their life. You can't be. Like I said last night, that's an aberration. That's, that's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's, it's impossible. So if holiness is so important, how about you... What's the proof of, like Ephesians 4.24 said, true holiness? Did you notice that? True holiness. If, if there's a true holiness, that means there's a... Yeah, right. Come on. Amen? Yes, sir. Amen. Some of the greatest, most disastrous scandals have happened. I'll just narrow it down to in Baptist ranks because people wanted to substitute something for true holiness. I want to tell you something right now. It's real. It's real easy for you to, it's real easy to trim the the hem hem your uh, let the hem out of your garments. Amen. Yeah. Some of you are old enough to relate to this. It's real easy not to wear wire rim glasses. Amen. You don't understand what I'm talking about. Talk to these other preachers. They'll tell you how years ago in some camps, some circles, you wore a pair of wire rim glasses. They they doubted your salvation. You're just not a good Baptist. They even had it going, brother. The brother from Florida. They even had this going. If you wore cowboy boots in some circles, something was wrong with you. You move a little farther south, and wearing cowboy cowboy boots was a mark of how far you'd progress in the Christian life. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? Yes. How silly. Right. How God dishonoring. Yeah. How confusing. I wonder how many people are in hell because they got so confused at this sort of nonsense. That's why true holiness. Now here's the proof of holiness. It's right here. In the last two words of this verse. But I'll I'll quote the whole verse again. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In love. The proof of true holiness is love. Amen. It's already been testified to. But some of us preachers have had to learn that. Amen. We, we bought in. We bought into the idea because we, were, we wanted to be like these big preachers or something like that. And we wanted to show everybody how mean we can be and how nasty we can be and hateful. That's not holiness. That's the opposite of holiness. Yeah, that's not spirituality. One of, the be- one of the best things Jesus ever said to John- James and John, his disciples, was this. Brother Mitch and I were talking about this the other day. James and John, Jesus wanted to go through Samaria, and the Samaritans kicked up a fuss about it when James and John went to uh, check it all out first. And they, they said, no, he's not coming through here. James and John ran back to Jesus and said, Lord, would you please just let us give up... Let us call fire down from heaven and burn them up. Jesus didn't say, boy, I'm glad to have a ramrock like you, you preachers with 
Yeah, you got backbones like a sawhorse. Oh, bless. You know what he said? You know not what spirit you are of. That you would even, that that would even cross your mind. What is the matter with you? I'm so sick of hearing these guys. You know what we need to do with all of the homosexuals? Nuke them. Nuke them. Say it from pulpits. And things like that. You know how it works. Things are a little dead or cold in the meeting and somebody gets up and they can preach on homosexuality. All of a sudden they inject homosexuality. Where'd that come from? They inject that. They got to get some hoops and hollers. Mm -hmm. Amen. They got to get some handkerchiefs waved. Well, that's not working too well. And so they inject the KJV. What? What? What hypocrisy. We're in bad shape because people are just not getting sick of it. Instead of promoting it. And the proof of holiness. Love is the litmus test of true holiness. Amen. The litmus test is defined as a test in which a single factor is decisive. Love is the litmus test of true holiness. Romans 5 and 5 says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, God is love. Shortest description of God he gives us of himself, for God is love. And he that loveth not knoweth not God. 1 John 4 and 8, for God is love. 1 John 4 and 16, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Now, if love isn't in preaching, if it isn't in teaching, see, that's why some people can preach a sermon that is really, really hard and really gives it to people, and the people love him more for it. And somebody else can get up and preach the same sermon, and people want to kick him down the stairs for it. People can tell. Amen. God is love, and if love is in our preaching, our teaching, and our serving, in our singing, in our witnessing, then God isn't going to be in it. Amen. That's why it's so bad to have women back working in the kitchen. They're griping and complaining about having to be there. They're not going to get any blessing for that. People who begrudgingly go out on visitation, they're not going to get any blessing for that. And, and preachers who preach because it's so, but I'm going to really have fun preaching this sermon. I had fun preaching. I wish they would erase that word fun yeah. out of their vocabulary. Yeah, right. It's sending a wrong signal to young preachers. Mm, right. This is what preaching the word is all about, me having fun. Oh, me. Mm. What in the world has happened to people's minds? Well, love... Uh, Love is the, is the litmus test. I read a story one time about someone that was on a tour of Europe, and they, they showed him, it was a daytime tour, and the tour guide took him out to this beautiful, beautiful castle. And then the landscaping was beautiful. The castle itself was a masterpiece of architecture, just stupendous. And the tourists were ooing and eyeing about it, how beautiful. Beautiful it is. And the tour guide said, 
You ought to see it at night when it's lit up. Now, love is what lights up our testimony in this world. That's what Jesus was talking. He said, let your light so shine. Love's what lights our preaching up. Amen. However hard it may be, if it's lit up by love, Love is uh, the context, it's the atmosphere for living a holy life. And anything else is Phariseeism. You say, that sounds like a pretty general statement. I meant it to be. That's what I get from the Bible. If love isn't in it, it's just Phariseeism. And And Phariseeism scares me more and more and more. Colossians 3 and 14, and above all things, put on... Charity, which is the bond of per- perfectness, perfection. Romans 13 and 10, love is the fulfilling of the law. That's pretty important. 1 Corinthians 16 and 14, let all of your things, A-double-L, all of your things be done in what? Love. Amen. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 13, Yea, though I speak with the tongues of angels and have not charity, and I'm become as sounding brass as I'm become a tinkling symbol, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand. In other words, I could preach. I'm the best preacher in 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 America, but if I don't have love, it's worthless in God's in God's eyes. Now, practical holiness is motivated by two things. I'm, I'm going to preach as fast as I can, so listen as fast as you can. It's motivated by love, practical holiness is, for the master. When I got first, first got saved, I changed several things in my life, and I really didn't understand why. I was just listening to my pastor, and um, I, my, my attitude was, I'm, I don't know anything. He knows he knows a lot more than I do. He says that I'm going to follow it. If I find out later it's not in the Bible, I'm going to quit following it. But the main reason I changed those things was love for him who saved my soul. Amen. Amen. I told you he helped me get saved. Amen. Don't take that phrase wrong. Here's what I mean by it. The night I got saved, this comes to mind, I remember getting down at that preacher's house and pushing my face in between the cushions when he said, just act, pray and ask God to save you. I was still pushing my nose between those cushions. And the devil said, you don't even know how to pray. <laughs> and immediately the thought came to me, that is exactly right. You don't know how to pray. You better pray your life. But then it's like the Holy Spirit said, So I just started talking. Amen. Just forgive my sin. I'm taking you at your word. I'm trusting in him. You know what happened after that, don't you? Amen. I'm just here to tell you one thing. I don't even know myself, but I know this. I love him. Amen. I got saved. If the preacher had said, you know, I'd really please God if you'd stand on your head in the corner for an hour every day. I know that's extreme. But boy, at that point, I'd have done it. <laughs> I'd have said, which corner? 
Amen. Practical holiness is motivated by love for the master. Love, which is the litmus test of true holiness, is a love that's motivated, it's motivated by love for mankind. Amen. Boy, it's so true. I'm glad preachers have been so honest today. There are some people that you, you fantasize. I don't know about you. I'll be, I'll be a little honest right now. There have been times in my ministry when I have fantasized about getting it on. If I could just have five minutes in a room. <laughs> I was thinking that way about a mama. I would give everything that I had. If I could just have five minutes in a room when Bill Clinton was president, I used to fantasize about it. If I could just have five minutes with that guy in a room. Those are bad thoughts. When I know that what we need to be doing is praying for Clinton and the Obamas and and the people, see that preacher, your pastor that got knocked down. Um, he did that. He did. He he didn't retaliate because of his love for mankind. His first, his love for the master. The preachers think the main thing a lot of them do is to be rough, to be hard, to be inflexible in their preaching, their dealing with people, and. They forget that we can cripple people. Amen. We can embitter people. We can make other people mean. You can go into a church. This is true. You go into that church and you're around there a little bit. And you you around the people. You'll get a good read on what their pastors like. The most important thing is to preach the truth that the Bible says in love says it in Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love, that they may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. It won't work if we don't preach the truth in love. When I was a little boy growing up on my grandpa's farm, we'd help my grandma plant her little truck patch next to the house. My grandpa would do this in the, in the fields with other things. Soak the seed overnight, and it would really get a head start in the planting. We need to soak the seed of our witness, our preaching, our teaching. Soak it in love. Let let it swell up. Amen. That's why I've seen that. There are less gifted preachers, but who are loving pastors, who are, they're the best pastors. Amen. The pastor that I had, my first pastor, was that way. He wasn't the most dynamic preacher. He probably probably wouldn't have been invited to preach in many, many meetings or anything like that, but he was a loving pastor pastor. Here's why loving pastors are better than pastors that maybe are a lot more gifted. They look a lot sharper. They're better mixers. 
Here's a verse for that. Proverbs 15 and 17 says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Some preachers offer a stalled ox of their education, their skillfulness, their cleverness. Uh, that all, all of that's a stalled ox because of their anger and their coldness and their pettiness. While less gifted preachers are a blessing. Somebody said it out in the hall this morning at the at the judgment, there's gonna really, really be some big surprises. Amen. When the when the rewards are handed out. Matthew Henry said, Holiness proceeding from love to God and to our fellow creatures is the principle of all true holiness. I almost preached early this morning. I was thinking about a passage, and when Brother Stewart announced his text, I thought, well, I wonder if I, maybe I should have been preaching on I, in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 8, I know it's a millennial passage, but it's, it's got some real, real applications. Says, and a highway shall be there, and a way. Amen. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. And the next verse says, and the lion, I'm paraphrasing now, the lion will avoid that. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It's a highway of holiness. In other words, higher ground. That's that higher place. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Anybody, nobody, anybody that thinks I'm going to get to the judgment seat of Christ and say, oh, on that subject of holiness, I read my Bible all the time, and I, I was in church all the time, but that, that holiness, that's the old, I never understood that. No, this is a plain highway. There's a good way. You, you can't miss it. The Bible says you could be, you could be a fool and still not miss this direction. Yeah. So something must be desperately wrong. new-batch, go-go-type gospel, so-called preachers, and they're missing yes, spiritual aspects. 